Hello everyone, this is Rising Above Shadows of Abuse, the weekly podcast for anyone currently experiencing trauma, pain, shame, guilt, anger, and wants to eradicate these negative emotions. I'm your host, Grace Opa. I'm a survivor of domestic violence. Harriet Wistrich is a solicitor feminist and the founder and director of the Center for Women's Justice, a charity to advance the rights of women and girls by holding the state accountable for failures in preventing violence against them. She also co-founded the feminist law reform group Justice for Women to campaign against laws that discriminate against women in cases involving male violence. She's critical of the continual persistence to gaslight women by male accusers and the attitude of victim blaming that has become embedded in our culture. She has acted in many high-profile cases concerning violence against women, represented women deceived into having a relationship with undercover police officers, and represented women appealing on the murder convictions for killing abusive partners, including the high-profile case of Sally Challen. She's the winner of the Liberty Human Rights Lawyer of the Year Award 2014, Legal Aid Lawyer of the Year 2018 for Public Law, and Law Society Gazette Personality of the Year 2019. In this comprehensive and wide-ranging interview, Harriet is asked why vulnerable migrant women are exempt from domestic abuse law, how proposed online safety laws fail to fully address the abuse of women and girls on social media and refers to the conviction of Ghislaine Maxwell for sex trafficking underage girls. Commenting on the recent resignation of Metropolitan Police Commissioner Cressida Dick, Wistrich says that she was indeed a good leader to those she led because she defended them, therefore commanding a strong culture of loyalty with her officers. Her downfall occurred due to a resistance to investigate both misconduct and crime within the force or to acknowledge the deep-seated rottenness within the police culture, clean it up and restore public confidence. Welcome, Harriet. Hi, nice to be uh, joining you today. You're welcome. Kindly give us a little background about yourself and what prompted you to start the organization Center for Women's Justice. Yes, of course. Um, well, I've been a, a solicitor, a lawyer for um, the past 30 years, actually. Um, uh, and I went into law because um, I was already uh, a feminist and believed in, um, you know, advancing the rights of women. And through some feminist activism I was involved in, uh, I felt that I could play a role um, by becoming a lawyer and using my legal skills to help advance women's rights. Um, in fact, I then worked as, as a lawyer in a, in a range of different areas, but primarily working around um, uh, state uh, you know, actions against the police and other state institutions, more generally, not specifically on behalf of women, but gradually because of my background, I specialised more in women and um, started bringing some big cases um, that affected the rights of women and helped open up opportunities for women to seek to vindicate their rights in different ways. And um, I was aware that there weren't many 
lawyers doing that kind of work and it wasn't widely understood. And, uh, and that kind of gave me the idea to set up Centre for Women's Justice, which is a specialist uh, legal charity uh, focusing on uh, advancing the rights of women and girls and challenging uh, discrimination in the criminal justice system uh, by holding the state accountable. Thank you. So um, how do we ensure proper equality before the law and end victim blaming? It's been stated that the government prioritise immigration enforcement over safety of survivors of abuse. What are your views on this? Okay, so this sort of, that's two parts to the question really, isn't it? it Just is. generally speaking, uh, equality before the law and the end to victim blaming is quite a, a giant enterprise. Um, a victim blaming is so deeply embedded in our culture that um, it, and it, it then becomes replicated within the criminal justice system. So it's quite, um, you know, it's a wider cultural issue um, in, in terms of, you know, changing societal attitudes, particularly towards women. Um, but within the criminal justice system, there are things we can do um, for example, um, in uh, the prosecution of rape, for example, uh, there are myths uh, and stereotypes guidance now, which says you can't simply, um, uh, you know, that you mustn't, you know, it's not a woman's fault if she's, you know, wearing a short skirt or getting drunk. That doesn't make her somehow less deserving of uh you know, the protection of the law um, if, if she's raped um, because of her behaviour. The, the key question is it's the victim's behaviour. So it's always about trying to, to turn the um, investigation or prosecution on its head by focusing on the suspect, not the victim. Um, but it's, it's, um, it's, very, it's a very major task because it's so deeply embedded in, in our uh, kind of cultural values more generally. Equality before the law is perhaps um, a bit more achievable because you can bring legal challenges uh, where there is discrimination. Um, and um, so, you know, if, if, if you see an example, whether it is, uh, you know, where, where it takes place, um, you know, potentially there are, there are legal challenges to discrimination against women. Um, but, you know, real equality, um, requires something a bit more in-depth than simply, you know, on the surface. It requires a, a kind of, you know, kind of fundamental challenge to um, the, uh, you know, attitudes again. So it's, it, it's a, you know, everyone has a role to play in different ways to achieve change. And as a lawyer, we can, we, you know, we seek to play our part in, in the, um, uh, process by, you know, bringing legal challenges where necessary by providing access or helping assist uh, women to get access to lawyers who can assist them, uh, and and you know sometimes inputting into policy and consultations where appropriate. Okay. In relation to the specific question, can you just repeat that about immigration? Um. 
Yes, I said um, it's been stated that the government prioritized immigration enforcement over safety of survivors of abuse. What are your views on this? Take, for example, um, a lady was brought in by her spouse and uh, they had uh, probably um, an altercation, there's a problem, and the man wants the woman out of the country. Yeah. And she's legally meant to be leaving with the man, but because of the altercation or the quarrel or the the separation, there's a bit of a, a problem. And I know there's always loopholes in the law. Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, the treatment of, uh, of migrants, of people of uncertain immigration status, yeah. um by by the government is you know hugely concerning and 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 they have jettisoned um the rights of of victims of of male violence to um immigration enforcement as being uh, a more um important um priority for government and 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 that is um you know unacceptable uh it it's it, um you know, we we saw even within the Domestic Abuse Act, so that this is a big piece of legislation that was passed uh, last year. Yeah, April. That, that they weren't willing to to make certain exceptions around uh, migrants' rights. So um, women who don't have settled immigration status may not have recourse to public funds, and then they may not be able to to get the benefit of, of the support that they need that other women will get because of their, their immigration status. And we don't we know that abusive men will use whatever they can to control uh, women if 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 that's what they need they want to do. And and and, and anyone who has uh, uncertain immigration status is at particular risk. Yeah. Because um, you know they may be reported if if they're for example if they've overstayed, and and women who are in um, domestic you know who who are in a relationship maybe they 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 they're married to a man who then becomes an abuser, yes. uh, and they want to leave him. Uh, if it, particularly those women who've come over on a spousal visa, yes. uh, they, they if they leave him, they're at risk of of their immigration status becoming unlawful. They, they, there is recognition of that and a, a method for regularizing it, but it's it's not uh, it's straightforward. I think the other thing that's highly concerning is that if women are victims of, of violence and they want to report to the police, many are fearful that, that um, actually they could end up being, um, uh, that, you know, that, reported. That, yeah, if 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 their immigration status is is not secure, that they they could be at risk of of uh, removal from the country, and and there should be a, a clear, you know, there should be a priority uh, to support victims of violence over and above enforcement of immigration laws. In my view, that 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 is the bigger priority, and it's not as though we're talking about vast numbers. Um, you're just talking about. Um, Women who are who are, you know, in that situation, and it's, yeah. it's outrageous the the discrimination uh, that that exists around that issue. So, will the um, domestic violence law be beneficial to such women? 
Well, the, the Domestic Abuse Act that was passed yeah. has, uh, you know, despite the best efforts of feminist campaigning, um, has, has excluded uh, migrant women protections from the Act. So it is a discriminatory um, piece of legislation, essentially. Will there be a ju judicial review with regards to this? Yeah, I think um, you'd have to, to do it on the back of particular cases. I know that, that lawyers are looking at that issue, and I'm not quite sure. It's quite complicated just to set it up, as I understand it. Okay. That leads us to the next question. What yeah. is your take on the recent conviction of Giselaine Maxwell? Some argue she was nothing but a handmaiden coerced and abused by Jeffrey Epstein into luring poor girls to be raped and prostituted. It's a three-part, two-part question. That's the A part. And the B part is, if there's a probable retrial, will it make any difference to the conviction? And how has this particular case divided feminists? Um, well, I, I, I'm not aware. I mean, basically, uh, I, I think that Ghislaine Maxwell, um, you know, was um, a, a, an actor in her own right. She was a wealthy woman. She was, a, you know, a woman in, you know, she was not a child who was being groomed and coerced into luring. I mean, we do, we do see that sometimes by, by uh, trafficking gangs um, and grooming gangs that they will, you know, that, 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 that they'll use some of the victims to groom or lure women into, um, you know, to, to become further victimised by, by networks of uh, abusers, uh, which clearly uh, Epstein was part of a big network of, of men who were abusing children. Uh, but Ghislaine um, Maxwell was, was a, 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 you know, a, an adult woman in her, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s, who, who um, was, uh, you know, of independent wealth. And uh, I don't think that, 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 that she has any defence at all in respect of her role there. Um, you know, what has been said about her and the, and the betrayal that's been felt by the victims is quite clear even if um, she, she herself uh, um, may have been a victim, and we don't know the ins and outs of that. But, you know, historically, um, you know, being a victim doesn't, doesn't exculpate you from uh, be, being involved in perpetration. So I don't think, um, I, I don't actually know of, of any feminists who argue uh, otherwise, uh, it may be that there are some, but I, I haven't seen that argument being used. I think, um, you know, her, her family may have argued that, but I don't think they're feminists. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Harriet. So the big question is, if there's a probable retrial, will it make any difference to the conviction? And how has this particular case divided? You just told me that you didn't divide feminists. So, Not that I'm aware of. Okay. <laughs> I haven't seen the feminist argument defending Ghislaine. I mean, okay. you know, I, I, I think the point really is that she may, she may have been a, a, you know, she shouldn't take the rap for all the abusers. I think the, the you know, the all the men um, that are still alive haven't killed themselves. There was another one who killed himself. <laughs> yes, the French man. <laughs> the French man. <laughs> But all the abusers who've, who, who've got away with it ought to be 
you know, they ought to be, um, uh, you know, prosecuted. Uh, but that doesn't mean to say that she isn't culpable. Uh, I think she is. In, in terms of um, the other part of the question, which was what will happen at retrial, who knows? I mean, um, it, it, uh, it depends uh, how, you know, it's unpredictable, I would say. Okay. All right. So would you say Ghislaine Maxwell is paying for Jeffrey Epstein's crimes? Is, it a, is this a strange form of justice? Well, I, I mean, I think, I think she has committed crimes in her own right. So I think she's paying for her own crimes. It may be that, um, you know, I mean, she, she, because she's alive and he's dead, yeah. she, she's become the focus of the, of the you know, the, the, the evil person, if you like, uh, and perhaps is, is more tarred with a brush than she might otherwise be. But, uh, uh, you know, she, she is, uh, as far as I can see, culpable herself uh, for, for bringing, you know, luring women into being abused. Okay. and participating to some extent in that abuse from the accounts I've heard. Uh, the people who testified against her? Yeah. Okay. You've represented a number of women in successful appeals against the murder convictions. Most recently was um, Sally Challen in a pioneering appeal on grounds of coercive control. Is that a difference in the Penelope Jack, uh, Jackson murder verdict? Well, the, the Penelope Jackson case, I, I wasn't directly involved in. I've obviously seen the the news stories about her case, uh, and she, yeah, I mean, like uh, Sally, Sally Challen originally was convicted of murder, uh, and uh, it was only after she appealed her conviction several years later uh, that it was recognised that there was coercive control. I know in Penny Jackson's case, it was also argued in her defence that she was a victim of coercive control. But um, the jury um, apparently rejected that argument. Uh, I think um, part of the problem was that there was this um, body-worn video footage of her, you know, after she called the police and when they came round, which showed her appearing to be quite callous. And I think that would have been very damaging for her defence. But the problem is what may, may not have been appreciated is, is the extent to which she was in an extremely traumatised state, uh, one that was perhaps dissociating from um, the gravity of what had taken place. Uh, and, and, and that's something that really needs quite specialist um, uh, expertise to to determine whether that was the case or not, um, but you know certainly her her case and the evidence she relied on was that he was he was very um, abusive towards her. Okay. If you were, is this a, a this particular case? Is it a case you could take up? Well, if if she didn't have a lawyer, yeah. uh, but I think her lawyers are appealing her conviction, so. Uh, it wouldn't be one that I, I would uh, need to be asked to look at because I think she's got competent lawyers who are dealing with her case. Um, but, you know, it, 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 I, have, I have obviously over the years I've taken on a number of other cases where, uh, you know, it, it, each case depends on its own 
that merits. Yeah. And even if the case, it it seems outrageous that somebody was convicted of murder, you may not be able to appeal it because it's very difficult to appeal a conviction and you have to find a sort of technical ground. That's the problem. And that 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 does doesn't always exist, even where it just seems wrong that somebody was convicted of murder as opposed to manslaughter. Okay. In an article in the Guardian newspaper, December 2021, to be precise, you stated here, my manifesto for fixing Britain's broken system. This was after the murder of Sarah Everett by a serving police officer. It was stated in that particular article, women were tired of reading about reports of sexual violence, femicide and failure of the criminal justice system. Kindly shed more light on this. Uh, well, I, I think what I was trying to reflect was that there was had been, you know, endless, um, you know, reports again and again of, uh, you know, with nothing changing. You know, the femicide rates have remained very similar, and if not gone up over the years. We've seen, you know, kind of woeful failures to investigate rape domestic violence and so on. We've seen police perpetrating abuse uh, and, and all sorts of other issues that have been highlighted in the, um, uh, the news. Um, and, you know, the, the thing is that, you know, it's, you know, what needs, we need to see real change. And, and, and it's a challenge, but I mean, we're not seeing enough being done to absolutely change uh, change things. And, and so, I mean, that was the sort of focus, I think, of that article with what needed, you know, and then I went on to try to describe things that, that ought to change and ought to improve. Okay. There's actually um, three part questions to okay. this particular question. The next question is, why is there a failure to address police perpetrated domestic abuse? And the C parties, does it stem from the fact that trusted positions are used to gain access to vulnerable women? Does the resignation of police chief, Cressida Dick, make a difference yeah. to what is happening or what would happen in the metropolitan police forces, toxic culture? Yeah. Um, so the first bit is why is there a failure to address it? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think... Um, I mean, I think it all, all ties up with a, with a number of um, there's a number of different points um, relating to that. I think in within policing, you have um, very strong culture of loyalty to fellow officers, and uh, if if um, an officer is accused of um, misconduct or a crime. Uh, you know, there, there is a quite a resi strong resistance to investigating that officer uh, and, and, and there's quite a, a strong inclination to, to cover, cover things up. So I think um, that's part of the problem. I think the other problem is that if you're a victim of, of abuse by a police officer, it's like you're going to be very fearful about reporting him to the police because they may be the same police officers uh, that, that, that you're reporting to that are his friends or colleagues. And, and so they're, 
you know, the, the, the scale of, of police perpetrated abuse yeah. is probably, you know, uh, much, much bigger than that, which, which eventually is reported. And then in relation to reports of um, abuse, mm-hmm. uh, we, we, we see that many of those investigations fail and fail at a higher rate than reports of abuse by non-police officers. So there, there, are, there are, you know, there's something very um, fundamentally wrong with the way in which we deal with allegations of police perpetrated abuse, which needs to change. So that was the first part. What was the second part? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the second part is does the resignation of police chief Cressida Dick make a difference to what is happening or would happen in the Metropolitan Police Forces Forces um, toxic uh, culture? Well, the, the big question is uh, who is going to replace her? Um, and uh, I, I mean, you know, who knows whether it make a difference until we see what comes in its place. But I, I think, uh, although um, you know, many thought Cressida Dick was, um, you know, a good leader. I think that mainly the people that thought she was a good leader were those that she led. So her officers were very loyal to her, and I, I think the reason why they were loyal to her was because she defended them. (laughs) (laughs) Nicely put. (laughs) Police culture. Yeah. And and, and I think the problem is, I mean, I I understand, you know, to some extent, if you're going to be a leader of a a huge institution, you need to support your workers, but not at any cost. And, And if that means that you kind of overlook misconduct and you overlook, and you don't deal with um, bad conduct yeah. and you don't deal with it robustly. And if you don't challenge the culture and the culture that, that prevents whistleblowers coming forward, yeah. then, um, you know, it, you're, not, you're not doing the whole job of a leader because a leader must also root out um, rottenness within the yes. city. And I think that's where she failed. Okay. So the next question is, Parliament published its verdict on new online safety laws. Sadly, no one of these um, recommendations including, included specifically naming and addressing the online abuse of women and girls. What can be done to address this? Okay, so this is an area I'm, I'm, I'm slightly less okay, on top knowledgeable of. about. Okay. Um, when you talk about, you mean like, um, men uh, or whoever just attacking women and girls, you know, yes. using misogynistic language on on uh, in relation to uh, you know just attacking women in and calling them awful names and so on. Is that is that? Yeah, that's part of it. Or using um, um, nudes of women on online, like a network. Uh, sending messages to the on a public communication network like the Telegram, um, which is contrary to Section One Two Seven of the Communication Act Two Thousand and Three. Okay, um, I, I mean, I, I don't think I, I I know too. I don't know enough about that particular uh, provision. Okay. But uh, I, I, I mean, 
generally there are some laws around harassment. Yeah. Uh, um, and uh, you know where where they you know sometimes it's just a matter of finding the right kind of way of tackling um, harassment and so on. It yeah. is it is problematic. I mean, I think the whole online bullying and abuse of whoever is problematic. Yeah. But I, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not sure if it should be a priority for the criminal justice system, um, you know, when we have, you know, kind of really, um, you know, actual crimes of violence and so on not being, um, you know, dealt with either. Um, okay. But it, 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 it may be more of an issue about, um, you know, trying to, to find other ways of tackling, uh, you know, misogynistic speech uh, okay. in different ways. But again, I'm not sure I can help very much with that question. That's okay. Thank you, Harriet. Um, the last question is, a legal precedent was set in a high profile case in a high court judgment for the first time. The term gaslighting was used by human rights lawyer, the Charlotte Proudman, uh, legitimizing victims of this specific form of abuse. As, I'm, I'm going to be quoting her. As stated by Can Dr. I just stop you there because I, I know about that article and I'm, I'm afraid I think it's inaccurate. I don't okay. think it was the first time um, that, that that was uh, that that precedent has been used for a number of years. So I think it's a miss. Um, I, I think it's a misquote. Um, okay because uh, uh, I was actually asked to comment on it and I looked into it and I found out that it wasn't the first time at all. Okay. So do you, do you think it was, um, what is your take on this particular judgment? And do you think it was long overdue? Well, it, it, because it wasn't the first time it was used, it wasn't obviously had come before, okay. so it wasn't overdue. Um, but um, I think that, um, you know, it, it, it is important to have the courts recognise the concept of gaslighting okay. and it, it, it isn't very widely recognised. So I think it's important that any case where this is highlighted, it's good. Yeah. But I just think it was overclaimed uh, by Charlotte. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. I know she's one of your colleagues anyway. So yeah. uh, she, she, she isn't a direct colleague. She's a barrister that, that has, has done some work with us in the past. Yeah. Okay. So um, there was one other question I wanted to ask. I'm not sure whether you're able to actually answer it. Yeah. It has to do with um, Simon Leviev, subject of a major new Netflix documentary. I don't know whether you've heard of it, the um, Tinder Swindler. Tinder Swindler, yeah. I saw yeah. a bit of one, one of them, yeah. Um, lots of... Um, will I say uh, a lot of quotes, a lot of things have been said concerning this particular guy. Um, his real name is Shimon Hayut, his, his, an Israeli. And the question is, why has he not been convicted? Is it due to the legal loophole? He's moving from one country to the other and operating from different jurisdiction. Is that where the problem lies? Legally? I don't know because I don't know enough about the case. I, I watched a, a half of an episode, but he did did seem to be a particularly sophisticated um, manipulator man. and abuser. Um, but con man, yeah, and they can be quite difficult to to uh, to to um, snatch. And sometimes they're they're 
it's a bit arguable about what law they're breaking as well sometimes if you if you manage to con somebody into giving you money or whatever yeah it's quite it's quite difficult to mount it as a criminal um act even if um there isn't the problem of him being in the wrong jurisdiction which has obviously huge complications but that's that's a generalization i don't know enough about that case to say why he hasn't been convicted or called so thank you so much um harriet um that's the the last (laughs) question i have if you've enjoyed this episode kindly comment subscribe and leave a review thank you harriet for coming on this show it's been my pleasure and thank you for listening to me you're welcome if you've enjoyed this episode kindly subscribe leave a review and comment see you on the next episode bye for now for more rising above shadows of abuse news head to our instagram.com page or youtube.com page forward slash rising above shadows of abuse and our email address is rising above shadows of abuse at gmail.com to interact with us see you soon rising above shadows of abuse podcast with grace of Hello everyone, this is Rising Above Shadows of Abuse, the weekly podcast for anyone currently experiencing trauma, pain, shame, guilt, anger, and wants to eradicate these negative emotions. I'm your host, Grace Upper. I'm a survivor of domestic violence. I'm a transformational coach, mentor, author, inspirational speaker, and mother. I'm passionate about using my own experiences to pave the way for other victims who are stuck in any form of abusive situations. I have a background in law, education and psychotherapy. I'm on a mission to bring healing and wholeness to broken and bruised people. Every single Thursday, we release a brand new episode, bringing news on various forms of abuse, reviews, real life stories, inspirational talks, involving interviews, conversations, solo or panel sessions with survivors, everyday people, professionals, charities, thought leaders and celebrities. For exclusive content, guest opportunities and even a producer credit on the show, head to our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash rising above shadows and tell all your families and friends that the show is available to listen to completely free anywhere that you can find the podcast icon. For more Rising Above Shadows of Abuse news, head to our Instagram.com page or YouTube.com page forward slash Rising Above Shadows of Abuse. And our email address is risingaboveshadowsofabuse at gmail.com to interact with us. See you soon. Rising Above Shadows of Abuse podcast. I'm your host, Grace Osborne. Thank you for joining me on this exciting journey.